0: hello and welcome to the et phd team podcast the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you i'm Amelia, a registered nutritionist and phd with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier if you love it please do go wild and share it and if you're ready for support with our coaching details are in the show notes Hello and welcome to episode number 126 of the ETPHT
1: podcast with myself and Denai. Hi Denai, how are you? Good. I mean the sun is shining. It's so hot, which is actually nice in London. And so had an ice latte followed by a magnum ice cream. Oh. And then we made fajitas. So my soul is happy. Oh. <laughs> my you are
0: winning. You are winning. I'm quite jealous. I've got. I've got fizzy water. I've rediscovered fizzy water with lemon juice and ice cubes. It's pretty sweet. I mean, it's no latte, but I'll I'll take it. Um, hi Anna, how are you? Hello, I am good, thank you. The sun just makes everything better, doesn't it? Really? Yeah, it so much does. And you're where you record your podcast, you get a really nice bit of sun. You look like you're in golden hour all the time. It's honestly, it's so bad. I freaking love it
2: but I forgot obviously when I moved in last year like the summer had stopped in England pretty much and then it became like a storage unit Uh. but I didn't realize how hot and effectively a summer house is just a greenhouse
0: (laughs) great yeah yeah Yeah. all good loving life yeah I mean my house is like a greenhouse just because it's an old house so just it's delightful but last night I woke up this is kind of changing the subject but last night I woke up because every time I hear a noise in my house I feel like someone's breaking in like I get really scared in the night and it was 3 53 and I heard this huge bang and I thought someone was breaking into my house and then so I obviously waited and then put meditation on because I thought I'll just meditate my way and if there's a burglar I'll not know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if a burglar at
2: least i was be <laughs>
0: yeah yeah exactly it's a great coping strategy I just won't know what's going on um, and then I woke up this morning and my sleep app said there was a bird and then when I played it, it was like a bird was in my room and I was like, that must have been me when I like yelped because I got such fright that I thought someone was breaking in and my sleep app thought I was some sort of dying bird. So that was great. It's never picked that up before. So <laughs> I, think, I think that stops me from sleeping properly. Like it just leaves me like a little bit on edge. I'm going to blame the heat and nothing else.
2: So you this a special burglar. I woke up, I think it's about half one and I looked at the time. I, I think I just was in that state anyway Where you wake up But I woke up and was like Oh my god I haven't watered the hanging baskets Like (laughs) Getting old
0: Oh my god God. Uh, That's a sad place to be But also Very mothering and nurturing of you (laughs) I will send you a picture I'm so proud (laughs) (laughs) Bet they're thriving Probably more than you are
2: Mm, Yeah
0: Yeah Okay, let's get straight on with the questions. Anna, do you want to go first? Yes. uh, When I
2: feel the urge to impulsively eat, my toolbox seems to go out of my mind. When I think of how to support myself when not in the moment, I know what to do, like distract, think of my future self and what I'd be thankful for doing. But in the moment, it's like my mind wants me to forget that and just quickly do it. Have you got any tips on how to get better at it, and also not feel restricted if I don't snack because I know it's not hunger?
1: Really good question. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, certainly not alone in this. I get that question so so many times, uh, and I think you know we all know it. It's really hard not to impulsively react in the moment, no matter what that is. Uh, so and. It's really a great that you're already aware of your toolkit outside of food, first of all. Now, it's about how you can make it easier for yourself to use these things in the moment. Bear in mind, when we have that strong urge to reach for food, we're a little bit on a fight or flight state. So it's almost that anxious feeling. So you may not be able to think as clearly. So think think about how you can make it easier for yourself to create a, a pose where you get to check in and calm yourself down down first before you consider what it is that you need that's where breathing is so important like we talk a lot in the podcast about books uh breathing breathing in for four holding for four seconds breathing out for four holding for four and repeating that a few times or doing a meditation if you've got your phone handy get it out do a meditation or get your journal out write things down anything that helps you first calm down and then actually check in how am I feeling what is actually gonna help me uh, with this feeling right now mm.
0: yeah you're definitely right the pause is the most common thing that people people can or will always say this I'll say I know everything that I'm supposed to do I just can't seem to do it in that split second moment I think thinking thinking in advance of like although you know you've got these t- tools can you actually imagine yourself doing it or do you just have them tipped off on your habits every week in the sense of have you ever sat down and, and visualized that process of you going through it and there's some there's a really cool um piece of research that looked at implementation intentions with binge eating and implementation intentions are like if when strategies so if I feel the urge to eat then I will do something else and you plan them in advance and this research was looking at implementation intentions both behavioral and um, emotional so if I feel a certain way or if I am left in the house on my own then I will have an alternative. The way that these things work is that you you write these things out, but then you actually visualize yourself going through them. So I would say try something every morning where you sit and you visualize that situation of your implementation intention of like, oh, I know that in that situation, that's when I tend to overeat. So I'm going to sit for five minutes or even two minutes and walk myself through that situation. But I'm going to walk myself through that situation as if I am doing the thing that I want to do as opposed to eating. And doing that, running it through your head two or three times every single morning. Um, Because what you're trying to do is kind of create this new pathway in your head. And right now you've got a really clear pathway that you've always used. And so of course your knee jerk is to go down that path. It's easier, it's the path of least resistance. But what you want to do is start carving out this new path and visualizing it will start to kind of make that more um, clear.
1: And so that when you are in the moment, you you that's an easier option for you to take. I love visualization so much. I think a lot of people think it's a bit of a woo-hoo kind of technique, but actually I remember back years back when I was reading neuroscience, there's so much evidence now to show that it does make a big difference in the sense that our brain doesn't know the difference between what's imagined and what's actually kind of happening in reality. And it really helps build those pathways.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I was just
2: thinking of a couple of things that might be helpful to, to help prompt taking the pause. Um, well, I mean, my go-to is always the hair tie on your wrist just to like, bring your mind back to the present, but also like, and again, it might, sound, it might sound really simple and you might not want to do it, but like a post-it on the cupboard door or something like that. So you've got that visual reminder And it might be a question you ask yourself it might just say pause take a moment have a breath anything like that that visually you can see it again with the hair tie it's just something to make you stop come back to the present and then like you were saying deny then choose action
1: Mm. yeah yeah i love that (laughs) okay deny question um so I heard somewhere that overconsumption of refined sugar leads to increased symptoms around your period, particularly cramping and PMS. Is this true? And if yes, can any foods or exercise alleviate symptoms?
0: There's no evidence that directly links that. What I imagine people are using as a link is that it's some sort of inflammatory pathway or something, I imagine. what I would say, though, is that if you're having predominantly processed, I say processed, ultra-processed foods, most of our foods are processed. Bread is processed. Um, like, I'm trying to think, protein bars are processed. Lots of our foods are processed, and they're not bad. Ultra-processed foods is, is tends to be more, more what I'm talking about here. Um, If you're having predominantly ultra-processed foods, you're probably having fewer, fewer nutrients in your, in your foods day-to-day. And we know that kind of even then there isn't really this direct link with pms specifically but we know that, know that health is quote, quote, happier when you're having more of a Mediterranean style diet and your stress levels etc these are all linked so having a kind of healthful diet on the whole it's probably going to support you in terms of just your general feelings around pms but there's no direct link between these foods and pms symptoms that's not there um so I would say, like, what I, what is I don't like about this is that it kind of in, it kind of scaremongering. And for a lot of people during PMS, one of the reasons that they overeat is because they feel guilty for craving chocolate, and then they eat the chocolate and they feel bad, and then they tend to overeat. And then their PMS symptoms are worse because they feel guilty because they overeat or they're, they're bloated, so that triggers even more feelings of bloatedness and pain. Um, and that so it can be really counterintuitive. Having some chocolate on top of your normal diet in PMS is going to do nothing to your symptoms whatsoever. I use chocolate as a kind of cliche example. Having a a Domino's pizza is not going to impact your symptoms. But again, I know it's right on the forefront of my mind. (laughs) Um, But again, suppose if if you eat a Domino's pizza and it's salty and it's maybe different to what you normally eat and it's maybe higher, like a little bit more calories, you might feel bit bloated which could impact your PMS potentially but on the flip side of that if you're having PMS symptoms and you've got low mood and you want some comfort and Domino's pizza brings you comfort and closing the curtains and lighting some candles and eating that or eating some ice cream brings you comfort then it's going to help your PMS symptoms right so I don't like that I I don't like that narrative I think a lot of it comes from people who try and make money out of periods and menopause and stuff like that where that money should not is just it's capitalism, right It's not actually what the evidence tells us is right.
2: In terms of the exercise was part of the question, wasn't it tonight?
1: Yeah, if there are any foods or exercise that can help alleviate symptoms? Exercise
2: in general, I mean, it's going to be very individual as to what you feel well, I was going to say what you feel like. you might not feel like doing any full stop but some kind of gentle movement can help ease the symptoms. it will help with the bloating. Um, And again, going out on a slight limb here, but something like yoga might help with the cramps and and just bring mind body together. Um, And I think it is a time potentially where you need to practice being that like that firmer side of self-compassion because like I said you're probably not going to want to do it if you are feeling a bit crappy but it is one of those things that you are going to thank yourself for in the long run
0: you're so right I think actually saying like you need to practice so much more compassion during PMS week as a whole is super important the fierce side of it in terms of doing some movement in terms of not just eating chocolate all day of not just eating easy foods because you fancy it but thinking okay I'm going to be kind to myself I'm going to nourish myself and I'm going to get curious about how I feel I'm going to get curious about the emotions that are coming up for me I'm going to get curious about this any fluctuations in hunger and energy levels and learn about my body that is a really nice open compassionate stance to take and it stops you from being like screw it I'm not going to do anything screw it I'm just going to eat completely random foods that don't make me feel good and then we blame the foods for feeling crap and it's like it's not that it's often just
1: the narratives that we have around it yeah exactly and i think that goes down to what the question also you know if there are any foods that can alleviate the symptoms right very similarly that it's more about prioritizing and still having your main meals making them perhaps more satisfying if you do feel more hungry during that week that's something has helped a lot of my clients not being afraid to honor that increase in hunger but doing it by let's increase protein, let's increase vegetables, let me have an extra kind of a portion of, of carbs. Uh, and then also leave space for any of your comfort foods that you can enjoy without the guilt. Mm-hmm.
0: Let me just say this month, I've had to postpone my IVF cycle that I was planning because my, yeah. I normally ovulate on a very clear day. And because a clear day as in, an know day, not as in it's a nice day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that rarely,
0: <laughs> very, very rarely happens. Yeah. Um, But because I think it's just because I've been feeling anxious about stuff. My ovulation happened two and a half weeks late. And I was like, so my period was already late and hadn't even ovulated yet. I was like, what the hell is going on? Had no PMS symptoms at all. And I was like, because obviously my progesterone wasn't rising. And then I ovulated on something like day 36 or something like that. And then holy bejesus, talk about hormonal. My temperature is like sky high. My hunger is sky high. I'm quite good on the mind see, mindset side of things because I'm almost aware that this might happen so before every meeting before every podcast I sit for a few minutes and I'm like okay this is going to be your tendency make sure that you're not doing that make sure you're doing this so that you're showing up the way you want to show up but my word that's why Domino's at the front of my head because I'm like I'm like I don't want to have dominoes every single day I usually will have it on a Friday and then sometimes I'll have it on like a Tuesday if I fancy it but because this week I'm like every day I'm like I just want to eat every single cake in the shop Every day, and you no, know, but again, that's that fierce compassion of being like, I'm not going to feel great if I have five Snickers Brookies. One Snickers Brookie is fine, and then one pizza this week will be fine. But it's like framing it as I know what's going to make me feel good, not I know that I can't have pizza on a Thursday. To be honest, I think Domino's is happening tonight, but you know, I've done well to wait until Thursday. <laughs> um <laughs> Okay, George's question do you have any tips on dealing with poor body image or body avoidance when gaining weight whilst healing your relationship with food i'm starting the process whilst in a larger body at the biggest i've ever been and i'm physically and mentally struggling with the weight gain only four weeks in
1: a lot of my clients that i have found helpful that we use uh, is the radical acceptance and that concept when it comes to kind of handling changes in, in in our body weight because the reality is it's normal you know most people wouldn't like it you may not be feeling comfortable it's also again a little bit our internalized weight bias and what we make those changes and then mean about ourselves. perhaps feeling even more self-conscious worrying or other people will think a lot of things might be going on so it's okay if, you know it's acknowledging these feelings that it's hard uh and and accepting the current circumstances where you are knowing it's also temporary because probably if you're doing this type of work to work on your relationship with food I don't know if you have also body composition goals you're doing all of the right uh things and radical acceptance it's very much again being present with the current reality without the judgment and focusing more on the things that are under your control paired with kind of doing some work around building appreciation for your body for its functionality uh, so you're still looking after yourself you're still showing your body kindness and respect through your all of your healthful habits how you eat how you move because i feel the the most difficult thing there is when these things are coming up and usually for most people that is just overreaching as a way to either punish ourselves or our bodies or to numb our feelings of, of discomfort shame uh or again feeling really stuck in restriction and overreaching cycle mm.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think I've said this quite a lot um, in the last few podcasts, but what is the alternative here? I was looking at some research the other day and I was just looking through my notes to see if I could find it. Um, And I'm going to read this specific quote from a research paper. Most trials have found that when compared to obese peers without binge eating, those with binge eating lose significantly less weight, regain weight more rapidly after treatment and are more likely to drop out of weight loss treatment programs weight loss is not this is not a quote but weight loss intentional weight loss in those people who are overeating or binge eating doesn't work it doesn't work um there's some newer research coming out looking at like some sort of combination to see if there's some something there with cbt and other things it's not there yet um so my question is what is your alternative here because if you don't do this work your alternative is that you stay in the body size that you are in and you don't get any healthier and that's now we don't have a preference to what body size you're in i'm happy for my clients whatever body size they're in if they're happy and healthy um but sometimes you have to think and am playing the long game that being said healing your relationship with food doesn't always lead to weight gain And I really dislike that narrative that that seems to be stemming from whether it be anti-diet culture or whether it be stemming from, we often see what we want to see, right? And sometimes I think we can see this message of stop healing my relationship with food looks like weight gain, therefore I'm not going to do it because it stops us from having to actually do the work of healing our relationship with food because we're so scared to gain weight. It doesn't. And sometimes it does because that might just be the stuff that you have to go through in order to heal your relationship with food so it might lead to weight gain and it's not that you're doing anything wrong and it's not that your issues are different to someone else's struggles it's not nothing to do with that it's just everyone look, everyone's response to these things look, looks different um but it's temporary whatever your response is as you remove these food rules everyone's food rules are different but as you start to remove these food rules and change the way you're eating you're you are going to respond in a certain way but it's a temporary thing in order to get you to a point where it's like okay well now we've worked on your relationship with food and you've got this really good relationship with food if body fat levels are impacting your health maybe the next thing to do is is to drop body fat and be intentional with that but you can't do that without doing the other stuff because otherwise you end up back at square one like i said in that paper where you won't lose it you won't manage to keep it off and you'll be back in square one in a year's time so it's a process that you have to go through not weight gain but body shape changes that may well happen with this. Um, but we are very mindful of it. and as coaches and health professionals we are always weighing up the cost of excess body fat to your health versus your relationship with food and that impact to your health if we thought that we were negatively impacting your health because your body fat levels were changing as a result of improving your relationship with food, then we would look at what we were doing because it's, it's not our job to, to move your health backwards, it's to move it forward. So that is always, that is always a priority for us. Uh, if you
2: have a naturally large appetite and are prone to overeating, how do you know whether your intuitive portion size is right? I always seem to go with recommended portion sizes and left wanting more, or afraid I'm going to gain weight with the bigger portion sizes I naturally lean towards.
1: I think, I
0: think first of all, yeah, everyone has to some degree, you know, variations and like genetically variations and things like hunger and meat levels and things like that. And, and often, now, this is this is a kind of sweeping statement for a lot of people that we work with. they think that they have really high appetite and stuff, but it's actually because they have high expenditure. And that's one thing. The other thing is that we think that we have it because we are maybe not eating mindfully or because we have low food volume or because we love food. I always thought I had an naturally high appetite, but I also then met my best mate and she was like, I've never known anyone to, to be as active as you. But then I've got other friends who are more active than me. and you don't know it until like you don't compare but you don't know it until the more and more people you meet you're like well of course we've all got different appetite levels and hunger levels and so i'd be super mindful of kind of ad- identifying yourself as someone with a larger than everyone else appetite because it can be become quite a self-fulfilling prophecy to some degree now i'm not saying it's not true because you may well have a higher hunger levels and, and your ghrelin levels may naturally be higher for example um so there's lots of reasons why that might happen um you don't know in the sense of if you're truly eating intuitively you're probably going to roughly maintain weight if you are also in well emotionally regulated eating to honor your health which means things like having lots of fruits and vegetables minimal ultra processed foods not minimal not many ultra processed foods um like doing some gentle movement if you're doing all of the other things not just honouring your hunger, then your weight will probably stay roughly the same, give or take five kilos up and down over time. That's how you would know. But if you're not taking, well, you don't even need to know it for scale weight because you would know in your body that it's fluctuating up and down. And what you would find over time is if your body weight went up a little bit, you might find that your appetite goes down a little bit because your leptin levels go up. And then if if you lose a bit of weight, then your hunger levels might ramp up because your body wants to get back up again to that settling range that kind of would be a normal say normal a natural process for someone's body like when they're in a kind of healthy settling range they'll and they're eating relatively intuitively they're emotionally regulated they're eating lots of protein lots of vegetables fiber exercising well that's generally what we see um I would just think about so like that's the kind of overarching thing but I would just think about things like the stuff I was saying at the beginning are you Eating enough protein, are you eating enough fiber? Are you um eating mindfully? And there's no way of me saying, well, you've definitely honored your hunger there. But if you're fully like satiated after a meal, then you're probably honoring your hunger. And if you're not, then you're probably not. And if that leads to weight gain, maybe it's because you're trying to maintain a body that is potentially requires some restriction. And actually, maybe your healthful selling range is a little bit higher than it is. But in order to stay the, same, the size that you are in, you might need to go a little bit hungry if that's what you want to do.
2: I don't know what you guys think as well, but I often see clients, as they become more in tune with hunger and fullness, initially there's almost that judgment that they have a, a large appetite. But it's because they're so used to suppressing it or so used to only having certain amounts of certain portion sizes. So there, there can be that level of judgment as well. And it might just be like you were saying, this is this is your normal appetite. And for the first time, you're in tune with your body and working towards honoring it as well. Um, and again, I don't mean to be like reading, reading into this too much. But if you are someone that is prone to overeating, is it because there's been that, well, we know chances are there's been that level of restriction as well. So potentially you are better off having the portion size that you are naturally leaning towards so that you are feeling satisfied and the chances of you overeating later on is then greatly reduced.
0: Mm. Yeah, Yeah, I still do that sometimes. Especially in PMS, I'm like, I'm really hungry, but I've eaten like what I would normally roughly eat like on a weekday or whatever and i'm like i'm far better off eating loads more now because otherwise i'll be eating like even more later and it's not because i think that i'll overeat but just because i know what makes me feel better is eating more regularly in the day than knowing how hungry i am and then overeating even if it's even if i'm aware of it like if i overeat now i'm almost mindfully overeating and i'm like yeah, it is what it is um but i'd much rather be like i'd rather have that snickers rookie in the daytime than be at home at tonight and be like well, I need to eat more of my Crave cereal, which is not as good. Although <laughs> I got some Crave cereal from Aldi um, yesterday and it's cookies and cream Crave cereal and it's spectacular. Highly recommend. Oh, it Very
2: good. Well, I still, I just, I just need to get in on Aldi and then we will
0: go it from
1: there.
2: <laughs> Next time we hang out, I'm going to take you to Aldi. <laughs> well, i might have to like hold my hand like while i have a bad <laughs> attack but. i'll take yeah i'll, I'll, do,
1: I'll do your checkout for you <laughs> uh, FOMO, more around all day um so but I, yeah i really agree with what you're saying And at least with a lot of the clients i work with recovering from disorder rating that's very much the case in terms of the judging the appetite when it's actually Normal, but also fearing to honor their fullness because then they associate that. Oh my God, I'm gonna gain weight, but then potentially that leading to the overeating later on in the uh, in the day. And I think especially at the beginning of this process, it's really, really new. Of course, it's gonna be really scary going against that rule that you may have. That's like for most of our clients, saving up calories for later on in the day, as opposed to honoring that. It's normal to feel hungry when you wake up, for example, or do you feel hungry in the afternoon and needing a substantial snack? Mm. okay tonight question uh so um how to move into towards fat loss so to give a little bit of a context this is a client that has been working on her relationship with food uh for quite some time now and she's reached a really good place of um be, finding a balance that works for her, not overeating, uh emotion feeling emotionally regulated, etc. So we're looking into kind of transitioning into a more fat loss stage now.
0: I mean, if she's working for her health,
1: it's for health reasons in this
0: particular context. Okay. I mean, if she's working with you, then you're going to be guiding her in terms of how to enter a fat loss phase, first of all, obviously. Um Anna, do you want to jump in on this one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um
2: Again, this is going to be super dependent um, on, on where you're at currently and, and what you've been working on with Denai, but you've got the option of tracking. Um and even it's one of those things. I think people are always quite surprised if they haven't been tracking. You can reintroduce it, but if you're if you're in a good place and with your relationship with food, there's no issues with reintroducing it. I know I'm like transition to track free person but it's it's okay it has its time and its place but equally you can go down the non-track route and still use whilst you're not going to be completely eating mindfully um you can still use some of the principles and and work using the hunger scale and the fullness scale and and simple swaps and volume foods to help
0: yeah i did a podcast on it about a week ago uh just signed outside it sounds like it might be me but it's I think it's a gardener um I did a podcast on it about fat loss after healing your relationship with food so I recommend that you go and listen to that full podcast um but I think not making a big deal out of it it doesn't have to be like this big shift of like oh I'm going from this to this it can be and I was speaking to one of my clients about this recently it doesn't have to be like this time zoned thing it can be right I'm just going to see what choices on the days that I'm much more it's much freer and I've got a lot more like um autonomy over my choices and, and less outside influencers I'm just going to make some simple easy swaps that are that are contribute will contribute to a calorie deficit and then on the days that I don't I won't it doesn't have to be like every week you have to be seeing fat loss and every week you have to be doing x y and z it could literally just be some weeks you found it really easy to make lower calorie options. Some weeks, do you know what? You were just really hormonal and you didn't. And that's and that's life. It doesn't have to be this big deal.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what we're exploring. I think, uh, especially because clients I work with do usually come from a more kind of severe, rating background. Usually we frame it more into kind of a gentle approach of, of optimizing and focusing on your nutrition and your health much more. Uh, and really in a way... Strengthening those habits that we have already been working on, like Anna was saying, using the hunger and the fullness scale and making sure that we're increasing vegetables and protein and all of these uh, things without needing to overcomplicate it. I think that comes a lot from the previous experience that a lot of our clients have had when they follow very strict plans or regimented programs around fat loss. So it's almost like expecting something similar in a way. Yeah, I agree. Um... Okay, is it me? Mm-hmm. Okay, Steph's question
0: or Steph's client's question. I'm always looking for meal prep lunch suggestions to take to work. I get bored easily and like to change it up. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was going to say Google, but Google,
2: yeah, Google, or get a recipe. But I, I don't know what you like. <laughs> Nobody does. Only I, I know that that sounds like well the most unhelpful advice ever but part of this whole process is you exploring the foods that you like and make you feel your best and we can't tell you that um yeah I mean I said it before on on one podcast in one of the best things I've been doing recently is like one day a week when I have dinner with my mum we pick a country and someone makes a meal from that country and that that's how it's been and it might be something like that for a couple of days lunches in the week
0: yeah I agree and I'm laughing because like we've had this conversation before where we can give examples of different foods but like what I like to eat is very different to what you guys like to eat. And Every
2: time I see you on a poppa dom salad, I'm like, why? But maybe oh, I do need to try it, maybe, but it's so good. Maybe. I'm
0: just like, nah. Oh, it's so good. If you've got something wet in your salad, like I've been having Aldi's beetroot coleslaw and their red pepper dip on top of my salads. So then you scoop it up with a poppa dom oh it's great um see like this is the part <laughs> this is a part um what did I used to make for lunch I'm just trying to think when I used to cook for for work I would make salads I would make oh I used to do it when I was competing didn't I would so to have cauliflower rice I used to make cauliflower rice with protein cheese and <laughs> cauliflower cheese yes and was it, was it, just like a cauliflower cheese, yeah? <laughs> you know, back in the day, it totally was. Right now, it reminds me of eating farts, but I don't know at the time, <laughs> it definitely served a purpose. Chicken sausages are great to cook, and then I quite like a pre-cooked chicken sausage, and then bring them. You can bring, you can, like, you can literally cook anything you want and bring it to work. I would, like, if I go hiking, I, I cook bagels and have peanut butter and jam with bagels. Um, when I'm out corn cocktail sausages are great corn have got great products that you can have cold the list is endless um it just depends on yeah it depends on your dietary preferences
1: yeah exactly in time right because for me for example my lunch is pretty much the same most of the days and again it comes from a place of this is what works for me because i know i've got i'm really busy during the day usually i will meal prep and use the oven a lot because that's an easy way to cook a lot of food in one go like roasting whether that's a lot of vegetables or roasting a big amount of chicken and then kind of playing with these foods and using it for your lunch
0: yeah but don't you find if I roast vegetables it doesn't matter how many vegetables I roast I eat them all at one time it doesn't matter how many there are and it's not because I'm mindless it's because they're so delicious and then I'm like oh I cooked enough vegetables for three meals and I've eaten them all in one every single time so I I never I never meal prep vegetables in advance because I they're just gone within one meal or within my supper and then I'm like damn it especially like roasted parsnips or something Mm.
1: some honey it's my favorite
0: yes with honey maybe a little bit of rosemary Mm. um okay Anna question
2: I've heard a lot of people coming off the pill and using things like natural cycles but my husband and I don't want kids. I know there is an option for that on natural cycles, but was wondering if you know how safe or effective that is as I've read mixed things on it.
0: Well, <laughs> speaking from personal experience, it's not that effective. However, it's user dependent. I probably, it's user dependent. I think their statistic is something like 95% safe or something. Um. But, if, but something that you do need to remember is that if, even if you're taking your temperature, so I take my temperature every day and I have done for two years, even if you're doing that, your ovulation can still change sporadically when you're stressed. I mean, this month, I'm two weeks late on my ovulation. But your natural cycles will still protect it at your normal time until you've got that temperature right. So let's, let's take a little example lesson. Say you're due to ovulate on day 15 of your cycle and you ovulate on day 15 of your cycle every single month. And so you think, okay, well, this month, I'm probably gonna ovulate on day 15. So day nine is safe because it's six days before your ovulation. And I think they say five days for sperm before ovulation. So they say, okay, day nine is fine. And so you have unprotected sex on day nine. And then for whatever reason, you ovulate two days early that month. You don't know before before it kind of confirms your ovulation. And then that's only four days since you had unprotected sex. Sperm can live in your uterus or fallopian tubes, I think uterus, for up to five days. And on the flip side of that, you could ovulate late and you it, it might say that you, so say for example, okay, right, you went out, you got wasted and you woke up and your temperature is higher because the way that works out is with your temperature um, increasing, right? So you went out, you know, got really drunk and then, so your next day, you took your temperature, and it was high, and that was the day you were the day after you were supposed to ovulate. And so it looks like, oh, but great, waiting to confirm ovulation. It says I've confirmed on my usual day. You wait a couple of days, and you have sex unprotected sex. Actually, what you found out was that your temperature increase was to do with your alcohol intake, and um, you actually ovulated a couple of days late that month because you were stressed. And then you've had sex within that when that ovulation window. Now, the more you the more you accurate you do this stuff, the more likely you are to be safe with it. But even if you're super safe, there's still like a six day period where you can't have sex, or there's like a six day period where it says like you're fertile, and that's a six six days out of every cycle, at least six days if your period is regular. Um, if it's irregular, then it's going to be even more than that potentially. Or if you're not taking a temperature, so I think statistically, it's pretty good if you're if you're on it. And you're really consistent with it and you you are very you're safe on those days that are quote-unquote quote, quote, red days then you're probably it's probably fine um would i recommend it as a form of birth control no would i recommend it as really helpful absolutely um but if you're trying to definitely not get pregnant and you're married i would generally recommend like the copper coil or something where it's non-hormonal if you don't want something that's hormonal then copper coil is not hormonal. Um, but is effective um but everyone is different and I still use natural cycles and don't use anything else but I'm also not married and relatively celibate so like that's my birth control <laughs> I think
2: also as well doesn't have to just be us um just throwing it out there maybe um I did enjoy I don't know if anybody follows the bird's papaya but her husband had a v-day and she got him a v-day cake and it was fabulous I enjoyed following that journey and his recovery
0: <laughs> oh I do not know that I don't I see her post in a while um and the thing with vasectomies, are if you definitely you're right like if you definitely don't want children I would go down that route and the thing is, is, I know there's talk of like making them, making everyone get a vasectomy when they're 15 or something and then reversing it if they want to have kids. But it's something like the reverse rate, is some, success rate is something like 90% or something, right? So they're not super reversible, which is, I guess, one of the many arguments what the menu is to <laughs> not do them. Um, but absolutely that, if you know that you don't want kids, for sure, get down that.
2: Um, I just don't want to hear if I cause any arguments. I'm just throwing it out
0: there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um a question? Uh, yes. So um, how to feel more at home in your body? When I gain weight, I literally cannot feel like I'm in my body. For example, I lose spatial awareness and start walking into walls and such. It's such an odd feeling. Oh. I mean, yoga is one of the best things you can do to come home to your body
0: um it helps with what we call embodiment which is that idea of again being in your body and owning your body um yoga body scans doing something like that doing something like a body scan every day which only will take five minutes and when you, when you wake up in the morning or when you go to bed at night would be really helpful general mindfulness on the whole will help with that because it will slow you down it will just make you more aware of your surroundings, make you more aware of the things that like, you feel that you're walking into. Um, so those three things are kind of core things and I know they might sound a little bit generic, but that's definitely where I would start.
1: Yeah, I don't have anything to add, I'm afraid. Yeah, and also to add a little bit of context, because we're doing a lot of work with this client because he has a, a really big fear around weight gain. So once he has a normal weight fluctuation or feeling fat when we just feel differently about our body without our body necessarily I mean or that we've gained any actual weight that creates a lot of a lot of anxiety and actually sometimes losing a little bit of spatial awareness that can be an actual symptom of just anxiety and feeling a little bit spaced out and a little bit out of your body so it could very much be just the anxiety you're feeling rather than anything to do with your weight gain with weight That's gain such a
0: good point such a good point we it's easy to attribute it to our bodies right because exactly. we like to blame our bodies for everything. <laughs> but actually it's the same as when we often blame food for stuff and it's like it's probably not that it's probably all these other things that are going on um so that's such a good point okay Steph's question how do you mentally deal with feeling like you're a million miles away from being ready to pursue your fat loss goal successfully and the constant worry that you'll never be able to get where you would like to be I shall go first. <laughs> it's like, silent. I definitely, Sorry, yeah. I definitely did not mute you there, Anna. That was not me. <laughs> no,
2: I muted myself because I was
0: a motorbike. And then I just was like, oh, fine. Take it. I'm it. fine. I thought, oh, fine. I'm trying really hard not to mute you by mistake anymore. Um, <laughs> again. um, I think, again, coming back to the question that I posed earlier, what's your alternative? Allowing, like, accepting that, improving your relationship with food doesn't mean that you're never going to want to pursue fat loss and not waiting for that day to come where you feel like oh I just don't want fat loss anymore because you might always want to be in a smaller body um because of society because of other like values that you have um but improving your relationship with food means accepting that that is there but choosing to honor your health and choosing to honor your needs and I think find self-respect in that find empowerment in that find pride in the fact that you are doing something right now that a lot of people don't do and a lot of people will never do so that when you're in your I don't know 30s 40s 50s 60s however 70s I don't know um, you can look back and be like I'm so glad that I did that work because I've just saved 50 years of my life of being of giving 50 years of my life to food and I think keeping that it's hard to keep the future self in your mind when the future self is a year from now or 2 years from now 5 years from now 20 years from now that there's research that shows us that we think of our future self as a stranger so it can be quite difficult to kind of think well I'm doing this for a stranger um that can be tough but again what is your alternative try to really reframe this as again like go you and own that and take pride in that. and there's nothing more incredible. well there's plenty of things that are equally incredible. There's nothing more incredible than someone who respects themselves and their health. I think it's such a beautiful I think it's a beautiful thing as a woman to respect your body and it doesn't that doesn't look like a certain behavior or a certain act but whatever that looks like for you. I think that's incredible and it's a big fuck you to the rest of the world and it's a big ownership of yourself that I think we should be doing more to internalize.
1: I love what you're mentioning about reframing into empowerment so I know you've you've both read the fear self-compassion from Kristen Neff the book she talks a lot about that uh, how because it's very much written for women in that book although it's read for everyone But how, you know, as women, we go through so many different pressures, especially around how we should be looking like and what our role in society is. And how, in fact, if we all stand up together and, yes, accepting that there be those ideals, accepting that we will struggle at times because we'll have part of us that may want to, you know, look smaller, for example. But what great it is when we don't participate in these things and it becomes a big movement that everyone can take part, like through what we do, right? We have so many clients we've got our team a lot of other people doing this kind of work as well so in a way you feel part of something be good I think it gives you a really great sense of purpose too I
0: agree um and our question
2: I'm gonna put these two together they're both short ones but I don't know you you, you might agree you might not <laughs> <laughs> um any tips for posture exercises to recommend etc and also any advice on exercise or foods to help with lower belly bloating
1: I feel like you're the posture queen Anna. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well I was gonna say I, I tied them together because often if we are slouching we don't have the best posture then yeah, we're more aware of our lower bellies. I mean, let's be honest, women are full stop because, well, we we just, our stomachs are always a hang-up area. But if you are someone that slouches, someone that's a little bit hunched over, potentially trying to be smaller than we are, then it can, I was going to say emphasise, but make us more aware of our lower stomach. So I think... Don't be afraid to like put your shoulders back, stand up tall, and and own it. And obviously, exercise wise, there's tons of things that will help both in the gym and Pilates as well. That's that's going to be. I know this client really loves yoga as well, and I'd lean more towards Pilates for specific core work, particularly with the with the back muscles. Um, but those sorts of things are really going to help um, improve your posture and, and improve your awareness as well. So you might catch yourself when you are beginning to, to go back to old, old
0: habits and slouching and things and just pull yourself back up. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I'm not going to repeat it. Um, I do think there's a lot to be said. I think we often say I need to change my exercise for because I've got a sore back or I need to change that. And it's like, no, you just need to sit up straighter at your desk or you need to stand up and show up the way that you want to show up in a room. Um, that's always been something my mom's said to me since I was like 16. She's like, um, she's called me on my posture. And she always says now that I have really good posture because I want to be in a room, especially in a room of powerful people. And I and I go in being like, I deserve to be here. And I, I have to look like I know that I deserve to be here. And that's exactly like you said. It's like standing up tall and putting your shoulders back and making eye contact with people, even though it's making you squirm inside. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. And <laughs> I don't know if any of you watch Grey's Anatomy but there's like one of the doctors does like that power pose before she does any operating procedure where she like puts her hands on her hips and she does the power pose and she stands there for like a minute and so it's not like
2: step out, that is-
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's the same um yeah. and just like standing like because it's there's actually evidence that shows that doing that power pose can help I don't think it's confidence but it's um the way that you show up like um, I have to try and find the research because I can't remember the exact of it um so I think there's a lot to be said for that and like with bloating what I know that we definitely do as women is we avoid taking deep breaths we do shallow breaths because we're trying to suck our tummy in at the same time as trying to hold this good posture so we're taking these shallow breaths and then we're like why am I anxious why why am I tired why am I yawning all the time And it's like because you're taking half breaths if I said to you now like how are you breathing you'd be like breathing into your lungs like, why are we not breathing all the way down into our bellies and taking these huge deep breaths in? Oh, it's because we're trying to be like, pull my tummy in and make sure that I'm standing up right And so I think like making sure that you just like you're just cognizant of all of these things is super important. In terms of bloating, bloating is often not to do with food. Um often it's to do with stress, often it's to do with potentially posture, um, maybe to do with hydration, it might just be normal digestion levels. Um It might be a specific food and generally if it's like consistent painful bloating I would say keep a food log and a symptom log and at the same time log in your stress, log in your sleep, log in your water intake and seeing if there are any trends with that. But a lot of the time it's it's to do with other things aside from food but it's quite easy to blame or attribute it to food.
2: I hate seeing those people that tell you that bloating isn't normal <laughs> it really is know it winds me up
0: so well much. I was listening to a podcast with a doctor yesterday and it was, she was saying that and it's a good podcast um as a whole like, the podcast is good um extreme bloating is obviously not normal extreme bloating is where it's causing pain it's not normal but a bit of bloating the thing is is that with the types of people that we tend to work with and have conversations with they tend to be people as a whole who maybe are hyper focused on their body or who notice these small changes or who maybe overeat or binge eat And that causes some gut disturbances, too. You will get if you have a disordered eating pattern, you will probably have more bloating than if you didn't. Um, <clears throat> so we don't want to we don't want to pathologize it because it doesn't help the people that we work with. Um, but then again, a lot of people who get potent is because they've been on restrictive diets. And I always remember that bodybuilder that worked or yeah worked at the gym that I used to go to in Manchester. And he was like, I've got IBS, I've got IBS. And he showed me this photo of when he had his cheat meal and it was um, like he had a tub of ice cream and something else. And he looked like he looked nine months pregnant after it. He's like, I've got IBS. And I'm like, that's he was eating chicken and rice for every meal plus like drinking his carbs or whatever and he'd been doing it for years and i was like i'm not surprised you've got ibs when you've got when you do this the answer to that is including these foods all the time slowly obviously And he obviously wouldn't do it so i think it's less likely to be a specific food more likely to be like a combination of various things um okay let's do one last question tonight
1: uh, there is so much information out there on food and so many people say they're evidence-based. That term is slightly becoming co-opted. How do I differentiate between actual science and false information? Also, science is always changing and it's easy to get stuck in the details. Is there a way you pull yourself out to look at the bigger picture?
0: Yeah um so it is tough I feel I do I feel rough on people who like this is not their thing right because I sometimes struggle to to figure some stuff out when I see some stuff I'm like wait is there any evidence for that um and I and if I'm looking at maybe psychology research I'm really mindful of the psychology research I look at because I'm not trained in identifying like critiquing psychology research and the methods and stuff like that um and so I have the same thing as other people who are maybe not in nutrition fields looking at nutrition information. Um, anything that is binary gen- is generally crappy information, I think. I mean, we're quite, bind- I don't think we are. Like anything that's like, this is bad, this is good, is generally crappy information. Um, anything that is a co- like is related to the way that this person looks or they've got something to sell is generally crappy information or at least it's not necessarily trustworthy information whether it's crappy or not I don't know um I think keeping perspective and remembering that one study doesn't show anything I could find one study right now to say I don't know a pizza every Thursday night contributed to fat loss right I'm sure I could find it but it's one study of like five people some I don't know like it's Maybe in the fifties. Um, it's so it's really really tough to know. I think looking at some credible sources that you know obviously us, um, and I always asking questions. If someone posts something that they say is evidence or science, ask questions. Like I expect people to ask me questions, not in an attacking way or for me to get defensive about it, but just to be like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that." Someone messaged me yesterday saying, "You talk about intuitive eating, but you also talk about fat loss." Um, can you tell me why that you're talking about them both and as she said I'm just genuinely curious because I didn't think that you could do both of these things um, and she said it in a really nice way and I said great yeah I'm going to do a video on it and we'll talk about it so I think actually asking conversations and if it seems too good to be true then it's probably too good to be true if it seems very exclusive or binary then it's probably not accurate information and unless there's something like a meta-analysis or a systematic review, talking about lots of different parts of data that have come together, then it's probably not something that you need to think about. And if it's overcomplicated, it's probably not helpful either. Like you'll see that we don't overcomplicate stuff in general because
2: there's no need <laughs> my to brain can't cope with it anyway. So <laughs> that's <Yeah>. my reason.
0: <laughs> okay, great questions, everyone. Keep them coming. Thanks so much. Thank you both very much thanks bye so much bye bye enjoy the sun you too thanks so much for listening i hope you enjoyed it and as always if you did please do feel free to like share subscribe and review and if you would like to chat to me then you can find details of my instagram in the show notes